How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jancy. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's been going good, going good. Uh, not too busy of a week, so I've been able to watch most of the games, get everything in order, have a good time. Awesome, awesome. Weather's been going good out for you guys in Calgary this week? Well, yeah, we had a Chinook, so... Uh, Pretty much all the snow, at least on the sidewalks and stuff, is melted. Uh, the roads are a bit of a different story. Stuff's frozen over, but otherwise, yeah, can't ask for better. That is true, man. That is true. And, you know, we can't ask for better because we've got a great episode coming up this week. We've got three games to talk about, top of the hour. But before we do anything, Tim, we got to do one thing really quickly before we do anything else. Alert, 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 alert. So I'm very proud to announce that Alicia Scudeller from the After the Buzz Hockey Podcast will be joining us on February 13th for our first half recap, as well as being a guest host on that week's episode. So I'm super excited to have Alicia on. We've never, I don't think we've really got a chance to ever chat with Alicia at, at all. No, I don't think so, done. no. So, <laughs> no, but I have gotten a chance to listen to the After the Buzzer podcast. I think she was doing, she was doing another podcast. On top of my head, I can't really recall. I apologize. But no, super excited to have her on the show, and it should be a good episode, man. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. No, another thing I'm going to very much looking forward to this week, Tim, we're going to talk about today's cover athlete, because today's episode is Season 5, Episode 15, in chronological order, Episode 110, the Anthony Duclair episode of the Third Line Plug, Sanscast. So just a little background about Anthony Duclair. He was drafted 80th overall by the New York Rangers in 2013. He spent parts of five seasons with four teams, the New York Rangers, Arizona Coyotes, Chicago Blackhawks, and Columbus Blue Jackets before being traded to the Ottawa Senators along with a 2020 second and 2021 second for Ryan Dezingle. He would spend parts of two seasons with Ottawa recording 31 goals, 23 assists for 54 points in 87 games in Ottawa. So, you know, Tim, what is that? Going to talk about Sense Twitter for a second here. What is it I really hate is people on Sense Twitter going, oh, imagine if we had this guy, or imagine we had that guy, or some of the even some of the mock trades that they put yeah. on there. The one guy I will agree with, and I wish we kept him around, was Anthony Declare. Yeah. Just seeing him continue to blossom in Florida is it's a bit of a kicker, especially with Evgeny Dadanov not working out. But at the same time, the way things went down in Ottawa, I could see why they didn't keep him around. Like, it was just a very bizarre situation that ended Anthony Duclair's time in Ottawa. But as far as his time in Ottawa went, it was pretty good. The only thing that you could really say about Anthony Duclair was, as his time went on with Ottawa, his ability to finish just submarined. The poor guy got cursed by something. Yeah, well, remember he went on that 20-game goal streak, too. And I think, honestly, he, you might know this better. I, would, I think he was on pace for, what, 40-something goals that year? Something stupid like that, yeah. And the big thing is, is Anthony Duclair's always been very good at keeping the puck in the offensive end. Uh, the defensive game is definitely not his strong suit in Ottawa, where uh, when Anthony Duclair was on the ice, it was a track meet both ways. That has really changed in Florida to the point where Anthony declares no better or no worse than the average NHL or on the defensive end plus has his usual NHL upside like his offensive NHL upside 
Yeah, and now you look at the supporting cast he has in Florida where he's playing with Huberdo and Sasha Barkov, and now he's got Sam Reinhardt. Like, that's a pretty good top six that Florida has there. But I often think about what these Senators' top six would look like, and I know that Pierre Dorian was talking about wanting to acquire a top six forward or a top four defenseman. We had a top six forward. His name was Anthony Duclair. And honestly, if you look at how our top six would look today, if we had the B&B line plus Formanton, Stutzla, Duclair, or Stutzla, Pinto, Duclair. And then the third line would be Formanton, Nick Paul, and... I mean, this is all ifs and buts, right? It is. Because at the time when Ottawa and Anthony Duclair parted ways, the conventional wisdom was that Ottawa made the right choice because anyone coming up here and saying, yo, five million or nothing is probably not the guy you wanted to keep around, especially when free agents in 2020 were going for a song and a dance. Yeah, but how, but you know what? I often think about, like this is hindsight, anything you're going to say right here. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? I think Anthony Duclair initially, initially, it looked like Ottawa got the better of the deal because they obviously acquired it of getting down and off, who was a pretty good player in his own right. But I think when you look at it, is that Duclair, he bet on himself to really get a big contract. And while he didn't get that initially, one really good year in Florida, and he got it. Well, here's the thing. If he had just said, hey, I'll take a qualifying offer in Ottawa and did the same damn thing, we wouldn't be having this discussion, right? No. Anthony Duclair would be happily in Ottawa playing with Tim Stutzla and uh, <laughs> Alex Formanton on probably one of the more dynamic lines in the NHL. But we'll again, like that if second and, line anyway. Yeah. Well, it's again, it's ifs and buts, right? Yeah. So when talking about Anthony Duclair's tenure in Ottawa, there's one specific moment that often comes to mind for a lot of people. His hat trick against the Columbus Blue Jackets on the 14th of December of 2019. And of course, this is the first time he played the Blue Jackets since becoming an Ottawa Senator. And I remember that there was all this buildup for that game because John Tortorella had openly said to the media, this guy can't play hockey. First game he played against him, he scored a hat trick. I got to say though, as much as, the third goal in overtime, which was really nice. I love the second goal. I can't remember who was on the left side coming down. Anthony declares comes, he turns and he's skating backwards and he just wires one yeah. right past the goaltender. Like, oh, chest kiss. Well, what's very funny about that game in particular is if you look at just kind of an underlying numbers chart for Anthony Declare, you could see the absolute pit of his defensive play comes just before he's traded to from Ottawa to straight Columbus to Ottawa. And then it's just a steady march back to respectability. And the same with uh, his ability to actually play like his offense regenerates in Ottawa. And then it's just that the inability to score in that 20 game goalless drought just kind of makes a weird bookend. It's true. But overall, I think Anthony Duclair's tenure was really good. He was definitely a player that when he, the Senators acquired him, like I definitely knew who he was. I knew that, okay, he'd struggle. And you know what? Funny enough, go back and listen to that trade deadline episode we talked about. My thoughts were still the same. It was like, we, I knew about this guy. I knew about the struggles he had in Chicago, Columbus. I knew he had some success in Arizona, but it kind of flamed out. And so coming to Ottawa, it was kind of a this is it. This is his last shot. 
he took full advantage and right out of the gate when he played against first game against Calgary. I remember you and I were saying in that episode the next week, it was like, this guy's pretty good. Well, everybody knew he was good. The problem was how good could he be? Yeah. And yeah, the answer was once he kind of figured himself out, very. So just a sidebar here when talking about our post-trade deadline episode for 2019. And you know, Tim, one of my favorite moments that we've ever done on Third Line Plug, you're going to know this right away. Silicone nutsack injections. Silicone nutsack I found that episode. And I, because I was specifically trying to find our thoughts on Anthony Duclair's trade. I just happened to find that clip on our page and I just went, oh my God. Was that really the first time I talked about that? Yep. Because I I no sold it. I was just like, yeah, uh, that's that's well, that's a thing that exists. And here I am sitting here going, what in the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> how did that even come up? I can't remember. I don't know how that came up, Tim. You just randomly brought it up in a conversation. <laughs> well, sometimes you just see a thing. It's just like I have to share this. Why? To make other people suffer. It's like eye bleach in a way. Very much so. That's like a, that's an ear hole bleaching right there. (laughs) Because that's a thing. This is why we'll never win an award, Tim. It's just because of crap like that. Again, it's not memorable, but we're not going to become an award-winning podcast that hasn't won shit. Well, I don't know. For some reason, when you're bringing up trade deadlines, the thing I remember is that when we traded Pajot, we just started screaming, start the car, start the car. That's true. Well, you remember because when we made that trade, you were looking around the NHL guys who were more high in talent than Pajot and they're getting less. Yeah. And we're thinking, oh God, what are we really going to get for this guy? And then we got what we got. We're like, oh my God, we can't believe we got it. Well, it's like, I can't, was that the year that like, I think that was the year that like some really wonky trades were happening because was that the one where Barkley Goodrow got her first? Yeah. Yeah. So it was either that stuff or was happening. Previous, so yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. So maybe we overacted a little, but it was still kind of incredible to see Pajot get a first, a second and the potential of a third. I know, but you know what though? The Islanders went far. They went far. Yeah, they did. Off. So you can't say it was a bad trade for the Islanders in the long run. No, 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 not at all. So, Tim, we ought to talk. We're going to plug next week's cover athlete because next week's episode, season five, episode 16, in chronological order, episode 111. Now, there's a handful of guys that wore the number 11 in the Ottawa Senators, including, allegedly, I did not know this, Yarmo Kekalainen, Apparently not from Europe, but from Welland, Ontario. Who knew? Who knew? But for that episode, it's got to be the one, the only, Daniel Alfredson. I heard, he, I heard he's been, I heard he was pretty good. I mean, uh, meant something to the city. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I mean, he was a good player. I think he was like a six-round pick or something. Yeah. Played a couple years in Ottawa. It seemed pretty good. More than a handful, for sure. I think so, yeah. I don't know, can't think of anything off the top of my head that you'd be remembered for. But, you know, we'll have to talk about that on next week's episode. All right. 
So Tim, this would be the time of the episode where I would say, you know, Tim, we got to talk about your week, but I'm going to call an audible. I got to talk about my week because yeah, I've had a bit of a bit of a week. Not going to lie with you, man. Yeah. What, what went down? What went down? So for those who might be wondering right before we hit record, I sent up a tweet of my laptop, my mic. And I says, at Great White Gipster's setup looks a little different this week. <laughs> so I am technically homeless for the next couple of days. Well, I mean, and I'll talk a little bit about You that. wouldn't meet the homelessness definition by your provincial housing organization. True. That is true. But you know what? I'm now obviously I'm staying at my girlfriend's right now, and I'll talk a little bit about why. So First of all, I'll, I'll just talk about my week, first of all, before we get into that. Now, obviously, we're living in the COVID-19 pandemic, as the last couple of years have proven. So on Saturday, I was at work, and I texted my cousin. We were just chit-chatting, and I found out he tested positive for COVID the week previous. I was like, oh, shit, that sucks, dude. Like, I'm sorry to hear that. So I stay at Katrina's on Saturday night. Sunday morning, I wake up. I get a text from my mom going, Hey, does Katrina still have any of those COVID tests around? And my first thought was, no, do not tell me you got COVID. My mom tested positive for COVID. Right. So I haven't been home since Friday. It's Monday right now. Which gotcha, sucks. gotcha. And obviously, I, like I said, I stayed in here last, last couple of nights anyway. So I haven't been exposed to it. I went home on... Went home yesterday, uh, threw in the basement suite, had a mask on, took some of my stuff, came over. And yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm just recording out of her office right now. So big shout out to her and big shout out to my mom, obviously. I talked to her before we hit record. She's just dealing with a bit of a sore throat, not really any other symptoms. But outside of that, Tim, I got something to tell you, man. Because uh-huh. So I was at work on Thursday. And... One of the construction companies, I guess they're doing some work in the parking lot. So parking is a little bit limited for us coming in. So I came in, couldn't find any parking near the building. So I parked up on the, on the road leading up to the driveway. Yeah. And so I came through the stop sign. I turned and I was going to back into a parking stall. And I went to put my foot on the brake and pop it in, in reverse. I kind of hit the gas and got my car stuck on the curb. Oh, shit. It was like, and it was up. And I was like, oh, fuck. And I got my car stuck. And of course, the front tire, that's a front wheel drive. It's stuck in the mulch. So when I'm trying to back out, the wheels are like digging into the mulch. Yeah. I'm like, ah, shit, you got to be kidding me. And of course, one of the maintenance guys shows up and he goes, oh, you need a hand? I was like, yeah. Okay, cool. So it's at lunchtime. So everybody's coming down the driveway and they see me park up on the curb. And I'm like, oh God, I can't believe this. The entire maintenance, shout out to them, by the way, the entire maintenance department at work. It took the entire department to help me get my car (laughs) off that curb. And it's not like a little curb. It's like on an angle too. So it got stuck. And the back wheel was like off the ground. That's how high up it went. Oh, so fuck. they had to get dunnage and the car jack, the, the fucking car was like up on its axles. I'm like, oh, good Lord. Is this thing going to tip over with me in it? This is not good. 
but it took a lot of dunnage and I finally got the car out and I'm also happy to report the car's not damaged. How did you manage that? I don't know. The bumper or yeah, the front bumper is not damaged. Underneath the car is not damaged. Nothing got damaged. The oh, only God. thing that got slightly damaged, there's like a cloth cover underneath it that kind of came down, but I was able to push it back up and get it set reset. Right. But other than that, it's fine. Damn, you lucked out. Yeah. The only thing that got damaged was my pride and my ego. You deserved it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I did. God, never thought 29 years old, eh, Tim, I'd be driving like an old person, but here we are. To be fair, I just haven't had enough time to do something like that. Yeah, it'll happen. It'll come. Don't you worry, Tim. Actually, I did end up scraping the median a bit on the drive home the other day. So, yeah, I was trying to merge out of the fast lane into other traffic and did a shoulder check it, went the other direction and scraped the median a bit. So, uh, okay, that was my dumb thing that I did this week. But one good thing did come out of this week, and Tim, was... I finally got to skate at Shawnee Lake School Hockey Rink. Is it a nice rink? It's not a bad rink, actually. I will give Shawnee Lake School that. Because it's funny, I've lived on the island my entire life. I've never actually been up on the Shawnee campus. Hmm. I've Obviously, I've driven by it a couple of times, obviously, in the past. But I've never been on the campus. The campus is so nice. It looks like, it looks something like, if you've ever watched the movie Hogwarts, from Harry Potter. It looks like that. Has that yeah. kind of vibe to it. Yeah, it's anyway, it's an old private school, right? Exactly. So the rink is on the other end of the campus and it's just this kind of not eggshell, but it's like this sort of faded lime green big dome. It looks like an old tennis dome. And yeah, it's got like a restaurant and the right. ice surface. It looks uh, it looked really nice. But I got to do, play in the staff student hockey game for work at that rink on Sunday, Sunday afternoon. And I'm happy to report the staff. We beat the crap out of the kids seven to three. I even got to chirp some kids. It was great. Nice. Well, it's funny because like we went up, I think we went up like six, nothing or seven, nothing. They scored to make it seven, one and they're celebrating and they're doing the toboggan and all that shit. And I drive, I skate by going, look at the fucking scoreboard guys. You guys are still losing by six. Jesus. No, just like joking around, just give him a hard time, right? And then we ended up losing, we ended up winning 7 3. Because our right. goaltender is like this young kid that I work with. I didn't even realize he played hockey because he's so quiet. He never talks. And so he shows up with his gear. And I'm like, holy shit, what are you doing here, man? Like, I, the kid's like, see, apparently he used to play for Shawnigan. Oh, wow. And he's going to Francis Kelsey. I'm like, dude, what are you doing here? Like, and he was incredible. I could not believe how good this guy was. Wait, how old's this guy? 16. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's one of our dishwashers. I just like, wow. This kid, this kid's good, man. One note I won't want to make about the school jerseys that we were wearing. It has kind of like the Sens current jersey look to it. Right. Black with a red with red stripe. Mm. The only thing that it's not black is the shoulders. The shoulders are like this darker gray kind of waffly looking thingy 
it looks really nice, actually. I will give it that. And I want to talk to Tom, the guy who runs the hockey team. I want to see if I can maybe, maybe sort of buy one of those jerseys off him. Like, this is really nice. <laughs> a really nice jersey. I don't like the fact, I don't like, I hate the logo. I wish it was the torch, not the letter B. But, you know, beggars can't be choosers, right? Yeah. They gave you a jersey to wear. What are you doing? I know. And you know what? It's funny because like they put a hockey bag in front of us and we went to grab our jerseys. I was going to grab the number two for our bar art and zoo. Yeah. I went for the number three. First jersey I just pulled out of the bag was number three. I'm like, all right there, Josh. I mean, I'm either Josh Brown or Mark Mathot. We'll take Mark. Take Mark Mathot, but take meth, man. Well, don't take meth. That's bad. Don't, don't do meth kids. So that pretty much recast my week, Tim. So it's the time of the episode where I got to ask, how's your week going, man? Again, didn't not that much happened. Uh, work, work just kind of was what it was. Uh, made a roast. That was pretty nice. Uh, although it was the first time I've done a chicken in the roasting pan and I forgot to baste it. So it, it was actually still retained the juice like the actual meat is very juicy it's just the skin wasn't crispy that's it oh is it more of a softer skin more than yeah that? softer skin yeah but uh i did it's the first time with a chicken that i really managed to get the seasoning really under the skin mm-hmm. so that helped a lot because unlike turkey where it's pretty easy to get the skin flap up and just kind of rub everything in there chicken skin is tight to the bird eh? yeah yeah, very much so. Yeah, so it was just like got as much as I could up in there and then uh, just put it in the oven for two hours. Put some yams, put some potatoes, some carrots in the roaster underneath the chicken and just let her go. Fantastic, man. Fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about last week's episode because more, most importantly, I want to talk about last week's episode was the fact that we had Mike Gould return as a guest co-host and I thought he was great. Mm-hmm. really really enjoyed having him back on the show he was definitely a guy i think in our list of people when we were looking into coming into this year we were thinking about guest hosts i think the first couple of guys were pretty obvious like we thought about shackles joseph was a pretty obvious one but the more i thought about it, i thought you know mike would be pretty good for chuck well, it was just a fun time. he's opinionated and obviously you saw his twitter if you heard his episode about Connor and david you know Oh, I, he I did a full episode on McDavid? Well, he didn't do a full episode when he was on uh, our episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. When he was talking about McDavid. It was just like, I get it. But how much of that is him being biased because he's a Calgary fan, though? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, I, I will, I'd be willing to say a big number. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I get where he's going with that. Because you're right. When you watch him, he just skate right through everybody in scores. Whereas Austin Matthews, as much as I hate to admit it, the guy has a little bit more electrifying really to watch just because how do you stop his wrist shot? Once he gets open, he you're just like 50, 50 chance it's going in. Well, the other thing with Matthews is it's actually kind of interesting just to watch him get open because the process is as interesting as the result. Cause yeah, he, his edge work is second to none. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think out of the two, yeah, uh, as much as it pains me to say it, 
uh, Austin Matthews is probably the more interesting. Although I've really gotten a new appreciation for Brad Marchand. And uh, of course, Nathan McKinnon is started to ascend to, well, has continued his ascent to otherworldliness as well. I would agree with that. Yeah, he's definitely one of my favorite. I would say top five for sure. I would say top three for me. Like the top five, it's tight because yeah, you have McDavid, Dreisaitl, McKinnon, Kucherov, Marchand. I would say Barkov too. Barkov. Elias Pettersson was climbing up there, but then kind of fell off. Yeah, he's kind of stalled. He's stalled. I mean, obviously, I mean, you'll obviously have Ovechkin. You'll Ovechkin, always have yeah. But I'm just thinking. Kirill Kaprizov is, is getting up there too, eh? Yeah, he is for sure, man. And of course, Miko Ratman. Miko Ratman? Uh, yeah, I, I guess. I, I would still put Nate, um, McKinnon over him, personally. Oh, for sure, yeah. There's a lot of great players, man, obviously. But you know what? There's obviously the players that, okay, where would you put that? Like, where would you put, say, Sibenerjad? Where would you put Barcel? Where would you put Thomas Shabai? Where would you put guys like that? And unless they're definitely a lot of great names and a lot of big names in the NHL right now. Yeah, like does Mark Stone fit into the top 10 forward discussion? I'd say yes, I'm a homer, but. <laughs> yeah, I don't Brad Marchand. Oh, I'd put Brad Marchand in the top five even. Like that Boston line is probably one of the best in the NHL. And Patrice Bergeron is 35. But then again, you lose the people like, oh, what about Matthews? What about, you know, Kucherov? What about yeah. It's really up for debate, right? It really, yeah. just, it's just a matter of your opinion on the matter and who we would put where, really. Oh, of course, of course. So, Tim, as much as we could sit here all day talking about our top five or top fa- 10 favorite players, we've got a segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Nice. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, what's not beautiful, Tim, we've got to kick off Top of the Hour by talking about a death. And, you know, Death is something, it's like COVID. I hate talking about it here on top of the air. And this is one that you're starting to realize the great players of the past are slowly leaving us. We saw it in the 50s and 60s, and we're now seeing it in the 80s. Former New York Islanders captain Clark Gillies passed away at the age of 67. Gillies drafted fourth overall by the New York Islanders in 1974, spent 14 seasons in the NHL with two teams, the New York Islanders and Buffalo Sabres, Recording 319 goals, 378 assists for 697 points in 958 games while winning four straight Stanley Cups for the Islanders from 1980 to 1983 and was named to the NHL first team all, sorry, NHL first all-star team in 1978 and 1979 and was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2002 while also having his number nine retired by the Islanders in the process. Clark Gillies is a guy that... He's a perfect representation of you don't need to be the best player in your team to be the captain. Yeah. Especially when you look at those 80s Islanders teams when you had consistent 50-goal man Mike Bossy, you had Dennis Potvin, who probably, I would say, one of the more very unappreciated greatest defensemen of all time. Billy Smith, who's in the Hall of Fame. Like, you just look around that Islanders team, 
and you're like, wow, like this is a pretty good team that over the years has been, I don't want to say underrated, but underappreciated just because of the Euler dynasty that came out. Yeah. And, and I, I will always harp on this, Tim. Yeah. Four straight cups. Oh, yeah. It's insanity. When you think about it, Gretzky never did it. Mario never did it. The Red Wings never did it. The Blackhawks of nowadays never did it. The Islanders won four straight, and they didn't win four straight in a playoff years where they had to win two series. You had to win four. Yeah, because by then, you actually had a pretty robust and thriving league. Because, yeah, we were looking at 20-plus teams in the league at that point. Yeah. But you know what? When I was looking at the the 80s Islanders dynasty, I can kind of see why people would maybe underappreciate it a little bit just because when you look at the Oilers dynasty of the mid to late 80s, look at the teams they beat in the finals. They beat the Isles. They beat the Philadelphia Flyers, who were a very good team. And they beat the Boston Bruins twice. Yeah, the 90 Bruins, who were the best team in hockey that year. Whereas the Islanders, I mean, they beat the Flyers that were just coming off the Broad Street bully years. They beat the Minnesota North Stars. They beat the shocking the Vancouver Canucks in 82. And then they beat Gretzky in the 83 finals. Yeah. And you could probably argue that when the Oilers then went on their run, I think there was, you started to see more teams in. The Islanders were still good. You had the Montreal Canadiens rising, the Flames rising. So you probably had a stronger league when Edmonton did it. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that like in 85, 86, the gap between uh, the first the first gap in the Oilers' cups, it was Calgary that was the runner-up, not Edmonton. It is true. Well, also you look at Winnipeg was also a very good team, but you had Dale Howardchuck as well. We're going to move away from death, Tim, and we're going to give a quick congratulation to Timo Meyer because he became the first player in San Jose Sharks history to record five goals in a game during the team's game versus the Los Angeles Kings on January 17th. Meyer, drafted ninth overall by the San Jose Sharks in 2015, recorded 20 goals, 24 assists, or 44 points in 35 games for San Jose at the time of the story. You know what's incredible about this is given how strong the San Jose Sharks were through pretty much their entire existence. And some of the players who've gone through the San Jose organizations in their primes, like Joe Thornton, Joe Pavelski, Patrick Marlowe, Danny Heatley, Devin Setaguchi, uh, the one year of Jonathan Chichu. I am surprised that it took until Timo Meyer for this to happen. Yeah. And we also can't forget that you had, even very underrated, very good players like Ryan, or not Ryan Whitney, Ray Whitney, but also Owen Nolan. Or Marty Havlat, too. Timo Solani. Oh, yeah, I forgot Solani was there once. Yeah, that's weird, eh? That's, you look at him as a shark, and you're just like, that doesn't fit. It's Solani as a duck. That's the only thing that fits for me. I, I get the people who say, oh, but what about him in Winnipeg 76 goals? He's a duck. And then again, I would have scored 50 goals too if Paul Korea was passing me the puck too. But, you know, that's not the point. I mean, he did that even without him. (laughs) Pino Meyer, though, he's a guy, he's, I want to say he's pretty underrated in the grand scheme of things, but also I tend to forget he was drafted in the top 10. Because I think of him kind of the way I think of Thomas Hurdle. I think of him not being maybe a first-round pick, being that mid-round kind of guy. He kind of seemed like one of those kind of guys. 
and yet he went in the top 10. Yeah. Well, the other thing about Timo Meyer is he's young. And all of a sudden, this is the season where all of a sudden the points start coming up. And it's weird because this is kind of when his finishing has gone a bit cooler too. He's just shooting more. And I think part of it is he's now getting first line minutes. He's getting more power play time. But yeah, he's just shooting a lot more. He was always very good by the puck possession numbers. Now he's shooting. Yeah. And that's something that's always going to be a big thing in the NHL, right? Because again, when guys make the NHL, they have a mindset of like, don't be selfish. Yeah. Be a team player. When you start shooting the puck, I guess people start getting that kind of reputation. But you know what? If you score, that doesn't matter because you're producing. Yeah, yeah. Like all of a sudden, you're the guy. Absolutely. Now, Tim, you know how a couple of stories ago I was just talking about how much I hate death. COVID's another thing I hate talking about on top of the air. Now, of course, we only got one COVID-related story to talk about. Then we'll move on. The NHL has announced that they will no longer test asymptomatic players for COVID-19 following the All-Star break. TSN Frank Salavalli, the gray-haired millennial, by the way, (laughs) reported that the league will have an exception for Canada-U.S. border crossings. Okay, so they've just harmonized with what everyone else is doing at this point. And there hasn't really been a problem with the NBA. It hasn't been a problem with the NFL. When MLB finally, when MLB starts their regular season again, they won't have a problem with it either. So it's just the NHL being late to the party. And this would probably ease or obviate the need for the taxi squad. So this is an, an unalloyed good for the NHL to get with the program. Well, the thing is, I think for the NFL, it's a much different story because again, it's only in the United States. The NFL doesn't have a Canadian team. I think this is more predicated on, say, the NBA, where the Raptors are in Toronto, and now the Blue Jays. Well, the Blue Jays were playing out of Buffalo for a long time last season before they came back to Toronto. But, you know, I, I don't really have much to add on this story. So we're just going to move on and talk about our next story, Tim. Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment President and CEO Michael Frisdell has stepped down to become the chairman of Signature Aviation. Frisdell, who previously worked for Air Canada, has been with MLSE since 2015. So there's something very funny about a guy who's in char- who used to work with Air Canada presiding over MLSE when the arena name rights go from Air Canada to Scotiabank. It's just very funny. But otherwise... I think MLSC has like managing the Leafs is it it does itself, but they've done good work with the other teams in the profile since 2015. So it's going to be big shoes to fill at MLSC. It's true. But yeah, and you're absolutely right. I mean, because correct me if I'm wrong, because they also own Toronto FC as well, right? They own Toronto FC, they own the Raptors, they own the Marlies, they own the Leafs. Yeah. And, and all Toronto, the franchises minus the Leafs have won championships since their ownership, too. Well, him taking charge of the portfolio. Yeah. A lot of I think the biggest one that I can think of is just the continued rise in popularity of the Raptors in Toronto. And really embracing Drake, that helped a lot. 
and just really, really in, investing in the community, bringing in the all-star game in 2015, 2016. Just a lot of very good moves that MLSE did with the Raptors and same with Toronto FC, uh, although Toronto FC moving to Exhibition Field, which I think really helped them, was from the previous uh, was from the previous executive team. But yeah, no, MLSE has been very good for the last decade. Yeah, because you could you imagine if Toronto FC had say moved to Rogers Center? Can you imagine how empty that building would be? Because Rogers Center is what sixty eight thousand or sixty. It's in the sixties. It's a high number, but you know what? The like the Argonauts played there for years, and it's like, why would you put a CFL team there? The CFL, I hate to say, it, but the CFL's standing in Toronto is not huge, man. And really, it standing really predicates itself on the fact that Hamilton's the more popular team out of the two. Well, Argonauts, that right? I would say in the city. Well, it, I'd it, say that, but also, why the. F- fuck would I go to an Argos game when I can go to a Leafs game? I can go to a Toronto FC game. I could go to a basketball game or I could just take a quick hop to Buffalo to go to a Bills game. Like, yeah. Or I can just drive down to go to a uh, Detroit Lions game. Like there's just so many better options available to me. It's true. But do you you think the Argonauts would be better suited if they had played in a in a city that isn't Toronto, like say kind of like Ottawa, right? Yeah. Like, the team's based in Ottawa, but they play out of Canada. If the uh, played in a different market like that, do you think it would be different or do you think it would just be, I think bad. I don't know. It's tough because like, I think w- within driving distance of the GTA, you've got two NFL teams. And I think if the NFL ever just hopped into Toronto, the Argonauts would be dead in the water. And yeah. the NFL has toyed with that idea. Well, they have. Cause I know, Ralph Wilson, uh, like Ralph Wilson, he had he had thought of the idea with the Bills of moving them to, to Toronto. And I know even when he passed away and there was ownership groups, I think one of them was led by Bon Jovi, and they had talks to relocating them to Toronto, right? And obviously the NFL's got a huge, huge fan base here in Canada. But the thing is, it's a big blow to the CFL because the CFL always seen as not as good. As the well, NFL. And the, the CFL fans are so diehard about this. The problem is, is there's more money in the NFL, so you have a talent drain to the NFL. And if you watch the Buffalo Bills uh, Kansas City Chiefs game on Sunday, yeah. uh, the 23rd, you would never get a game like that in the CFL. Nope. And that game was a barn burger. Holy shit. Right. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, the Grey Cup was like that. The Grey Cup was pretty close, right? Down Not to the same level of True. technical skill. Like, you will get your last-minute drives, but the last-minute drives at that level of intensity and skill? Yeah. Like, that was something I had never seen before. Like, that was insane. It was. And we also can't forget that Tom Brady is not going to win his eighth Super Bowl this year. So sad. <laughs> Can we quickly talk about this past week of the for the NFL? Because last week was an absolute stinker of a wild card. And then they come into the divisional division. round, and it was so much better. Well, However, the first two games were kind of crap. The Titans did go. I, I picked the Tennessee Titans because I thought if Derrick Henry is healthy, nobody's going to stop him. 
His longest run was nine yards. Yeah. Well, the problem was, it's just like the first two games, like the Tennessee Bengal, the Tennessee Titans, uh, Cincinnati Bengals game. It was a defensively sound game. It was just boring as shit. And then uh, Green Bay Packers game was just a comedy of errors. That's right. Fuck you, Rogers. Yeah. Fuck you, Rod. But then you actually got like Sunday. You had two really good games. Like, the game between the Rams and the Buccaneers was excellent. It is so true because I was sitting because I was watching a little bit of the game before I took off for hockey yesterday, and Chris Collinworth and Al Michaels was talking about, oh, could this be the the final game for Tom Brady? And it's like what third quarter and they're down by whatever score. And I'm just like, don't do that. You're just encouraging Tom Brady to come back. And then we got to the rink, the game was tied. Yeah, and. It was just that last, like uh, LA opens up, opens up with a field goal, not enough time for a final drive. Like that's just, that was a gut wrencher. I know, but you know what? You got to think that Kansas City, not Kansas City, the Cincinnati Tennessee game. How is it a guy gets sacked nine times and still wins? Well, you see, I guess when Tannehill throws three interceptions and they can't get the running game going, <laughs> but much. you know what I do, I will say, I do agree with a lot of people. I feel for the bills fans. What a gutted way to lose a game. And honestly, I, I don't agree. I agree with a lot of people. I hate the overtime rules. Honestly, I think it's, if you score like team who wins the coin toss, if they score a touchdown, give the other team a chance to tie it. If they can't do it, you win. Yeah, I, I don't like football's overtime. It's probably the worst out of the big four sports leagues. It's true. It, however, the NFL playoffs is very exciting because it's not like hockey where hockey has the more physical style hockey. It's not just – it's a it's no more of a crapshoot where in the NFL it's your best players will come through and you'll win. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you just see so many clutch quarterback plays. It's so good. I know. You know what? I would like to see Cincinnati go to the Super Bowl because honestly, it would be so refreshing. Although seeing Kansas City go three straight, that'd be kind of cool. That would be kind of cool. But also, fuck Patrick Mahomes. You know what's funny? I was listening to the Bill Burr podcast this morning on my way to the gym, and he made a comment. He was watching the game, and he goes, God, Patrick Mahomes, he looks so dainty when he runs. He has this little dainty little run. But the thing is, if you ever listen to him talk, Patrick Mahomes sounds like somebody going through puberty doing a Kermit the Frog impression. <laughs> That's what he sounds like. Hey, guy, you know, like he just has that kind of voice. Too. <laughs> but, but we're really getting way sidetracked as a as we always yeah. do my plug. So we're going to get back and talk about hockey. Now the Montreal Canadiens have hired former player agent Kent Hughes as their 18th GM in franchise history. Hughes spent the past two decades as a player's agent, whose former clients include Patrice Bergeron, Chris Letang, and Drake Batherson. So basically this came as a shock for Montreal fans, because honestly, there was some, there were some names being thrown around. There was names about Patrick Watt potentially being linked to the GM. Vincent Donfus, I heard at one point, Ken Hughes, it could work because, again, the Columbus Blue Jackets did the same with, and I'm sorry I'm blanking on the gentleman's name who was named GM after Keck and Lyman left. But Bill Zito? 
Bill Zito, thank you. Yeah, Bill Zito. Yeah, Bill Zito got hired as an assistant to Kota Kekaneta, the GM of the Blue Jackets. He gets named up. So this is a pretty good – I think that's what they're probably going for, but still kind of just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, and that's kind of the first thing I thought is that this this could work, especially because you've got you've got Gorton as the president of hockey ops. So he can kind of show Kent the basis of the job. And I think that Gorton did a pretty good job in New York until he got Dolan. Which is funny because usually being Dolan means you work for the Knicks, not the Rangers. Yeah. Oh, the tables have turned. I know. You know what, though? You got to give it to Montreal because they're not just hiring somebody who's bilingual. They're bringing in experienced, quality hockey people. Yep. Like Jeff Gordon, they brought him in. Kent Hughes, it remains to be seen whether this is going to work. But you know what? This could be good. Montreal could get, say, Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, when these guys' contracts are up because they're a player agent. He's a player agent. So he'll definitely be like, nope, this is what you're worth. The market does may not dictate this, but this is what you're worth. Mm-hmm. So again, remains to be seen if this works out. And yeah, nothing really good. I mean, I know for next week's top of the hour, we're going to be talking about the Canucks. They also hired a players agent as a, I think, an assistant to the GM. But I think we'll talk about that next week, Tim. Yeah. Now speaking of the Vancouver Canucks, the Vancouver Canucks have hired Rachel Doreen as an as an analyst in their hockey analytics department. Doreen previously worked for the New Jersey Devils from 2017 to 2019. This is kind of cool. And I, I, re, I do agree with a lot of people that it is cool to see that you're now seeing women in very prominent positions in hockey. And I know something we didn't mention last week was that the LA Kings, they had an assistant coach who's female. Yep. The NFL, like they had the female referees. It's pretty cool. So yeah, it's really great to see that women are now being, put in possession of power in the NHL. Yeah. And then we'll see how Twitter reacts when they fuck up like the men. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you'll always have those people, right? So, yeah. yeah. So Tim, is the time of the episode where we're going to talk about some fines. Montreal Canadiens forward Jonathan Drian has been fined $5,000, the maximum allowable under the CBA for cross-checking Dallas Stars forward Tyler Sagan. Drian is not a repeat offender. Okay, so let me get this straight. Jonathan Druin got sus- suspended yep. for cross-checking a player in the back of the head, or in this case, the neck, for a player on the Dallas Stars. Yes. Interesting. That's really interesting. Where are you going to run back the time machine here? Yeah, I was going to say, where uh, does that seem familiar? Oh, that's right. When Jamie fucking Ben did this against Ottawa. Hmm. But yeah, it, it should have been a suspendable play, a findable or suspendable play when Jamie Ben did it. So I'm glad to see that Drew Ann does get the fine here because that is a gutless play that should not be part of hockey same and again i still harp on this right when we go back and listen to the episode we're talking about this against the dallas game we said the same thing why is this not a suspension or a fine i know that the nhl and the nhlpa probably listen to our show because we're such high quality 
Let's be honest. 100%. Yeah. But it's great to see that they're at least taking our advice now and they're actually doing this. So good on them. So we got also got another fine to talk about, Tim. Los Angeles Kings forward Philip Dandino has been fined $5,000, the maximum allowable under the CBA, for a dangerous trip on Tampa Bay Lightning forward, Braden Point. Dandino is not a repeat offender. Honestly, I'm good with this. It was yeah. stupid and it was dangerous. Surprised he didn't get a game with it. Yeah. it. I don't think it should have been more than a game if there was going to be a suspension handed. But yeah, no, I'm I'm fine with the fine. Yeah. So we're gonna close up top of the hour by talking about a suspension. Washington Capitals defenseman Dmitry Orlov has been suspended two games for a knee. Winnipeg Jets forward Nikolai Ehlers. Orlov is not a repeat offender. Honestly, I totally agree with this. And I did watch the play, and initially I thought, okay, Orlov, it, he definitely positioned himself like he was gonna hit Ehlers because Ehlers had the puck. As soon as Ellers chipped it, Olaf should have back, pulled up, pulled yep. back. Instead, he went knee first into him. Yeah, no, and meing such a gutless play. It is. And yeah, I'm fine with two games. It also gets him as a repeat offender if he ever pulls something like that again. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, Tim, that wraps up top of the hour for this episode, which can mean only one thing. It's time to start talking about some games. Now we've got three games to talk about. We've got the Sabres versus the Senators, Sens versus the Penguins, and the Sens versus the Capitals. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sabres versus the Senators. This is a three to one Sabres victory. Bullshit, I know, but it is what it is. Sabres goals scored by Dylan Cousins, Mark Jowanski, and Alex Tuck. Sens goals scored by Drake Batherson. Shots were 44 31 for Ottawa. A somewhat even game overall. Both teams started off flying and creating scoring chances, and which didn't let up throughout. However, Buffalo was able to capitalize on their chances, which would take them to the W. I don't know. From what I saw, Ottawa took the beat down to Buffalo throughout the entire game. And the only reason Buffalo won was because of a bizarre interaction between a weird hit after Branstrom obliterated Kyle Poso, a play that should have been called dead. Jankowski absolutely undresses Josh Brown and... Forsberg gets beat cold. Like this game was not close. Ottawa flew around Buffalo for three periods and a rookie goalie stood on his fucking head. Yeah, he did. Honestly. Yeah. The goaltender was a Hauser, whatever his name is now. Yeah. He played really well in this game. No, I do want to comment that. Cause this was played really well. Back. He had a 0.98 save percentage. That's true. Yeah. Like, and it wasn't like he was getting easy shots from the senators either. The Senators were everywhere. Most of their shots were coming from high danger areas. The Senators should have put four on the guy. But in fairness, though, Anton Forsberg looked fantastic in this game as well. I thought he was first goal was outside of the Cousins goal. Outside of the Cousins goal, he looked pretty good. He was he was all right. Like he was pretty at well nine four is fine. 
but 29 saves 0.935 that's pretty good that's pretty good but the cousins goal is one you have to have yes and that's what i and i had that in my notes too i said outside of that i thought he looked pretty good in the game to be perfectly honest i know you and i are exactly agreeing on that but yeah i do want to i do totally agree with you on that brashroom play because it's total bullshit the ref didn't blow it dead Brandstrom lays the guy out with a clean hit. A mini scrum ensues, which the ref grabs the player, by the way. Yeah, that yeah. should have been clear. It should have been blown dead. I will never understand. Well, first of all, I hate this about the modern NHL. A guy throws a clean hit. Yep. A fight breaks up. Yeah, I get it. got jumped. Stick up for your teammate, but it's a clean hit. Yeah, no, that was, it was shitty and dumb. Yeah. Now, I want to save Drake Batherson for last, but I do want to – let's talk about Eric Brasher for a second. Now, he had two shots in this game. Honestly, I think you and I agree he should have had an assist on that breakout pass to Alex Formatin. If Formatin hadn't tripped, he would have scored. Yeah. And Batherson – sorry, Branstrom was absolutely fantastic, and he was Ottawa's best defenseman outside of Shabbat. Oh, he and Shabbat was fantastic together, right? And after all the years that we were saying, put him with Shabbat, how great would this be? Paid off. And he's yeah. definitely getting confidence from DJ Smith, and it's definitely paying off for him. Yeah. And uh, Branstrom played 21 minutes, uh, tied with Zub for second. You know, if Ottawa hadn't played so much on the power play, I would have been fine pulling Shabbat's minutes back a bit. But Shabbat had a game with himself. So I don't mind Shabbat playing half an hour in this game, mm-hmm. given that he was fantastic for all of it. Oh, he looked so elite in this game with one assist and six shots. And these are the kind of games I wish he'd scored. It really is, because he had some really good shots in this one. And he looked really comfortable with the puck. Oh, yeah. And it's a game where he probably could have, but he had some really nice setups in his own right, including uh, there was a really beautiful shot by Nick Paul that just got stoned by uh, Hauser. That was just a direct, direct work by Shabbat continued to skate nice pass right into the right slot. And that goalie just kind of flails over and gets it. Alex Formanton is another guy I want to talk about who had three shots in this game. And honestly, again, we, t- we talked about him on that first attempt where he tripped. He should have had two in this game, to be in all honesty. Yeah, and it's one of those things where he probably was one of Ottawa's best forwards, to be perfectly honest. And despite being on the ice for... Well, Formanton was on ice for one of the goals against Stutzla on ice for all three. I really like the Formanton-Stutzla line like combination they played very well together and they just they really fly they have a lot of off- offensive creativity and the defensive responsibility is really starting to come with them as well let's finish off with drake batherson one goal on three shots looked really solid in this game yeah. once again the one thing that i was a little annoyed with is just ottawa could not get their five their six on five together at the end and you could kind of tell that they kind of deflated after the Jankowski goal. Yeah. Like, as much of a gut punch that is, like, veteran teams are able to kind of get over that. Mm-hmm. 
and the Sens they had a power play weren't able to to get it together and then uh just the six on five looked kind of bad uh something that the coaching team is really going to need to work on is just getting players back into it and I think they managed that pretty well in the next game as well as the Edmonton game for sure man now, before we head off to the second game of the evening, one thing I do want to mention about Drake Batterson, and I want to give a quick shout out to at Silver Seeker MTG, James Mellish. Mellis, I hope I'm saying his name correctly. So for people in Sensor who may know him, he's done a lot of Sens songs, like songs, Sens parody songs. He's done one for Scooby-Doo, which I just heard today called Zooby Zooby Zoo. <laughs> Fantastic. You can all hear that. He did one for... Ying Yang Twins for the Sen Secos. He sent a few songs. One song in particular that came up last week, and I was going to mention it, but I felt we should save it for this week. Now, you're familiar with the song Into Club by 50 Cent, correct? Yeah, yeah. So James did a parody of In the Club called Into Tub. It's a Drake Batherson song. All right. And I actually brought it in. Because our listeners deserve to hear this because it's fantastic. And here we go. Yeah, we can, we can work with that. Tight, right? Yeah. It is like it's one minute twenty six seconds. So. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, no, we work. That slaps. That slaps. I eat, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Should we head on to the next game then? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Let's start talking about the Senators versus the Penguins. This was a 6-4 to four Penguins victory. Since it was scored by Josh Norris with two, Drake Batherson, and Tim Penguins were scored by Mike Matherson with two, Dominique Simone, Evgeny Malkin, Sidney Crosby, and Jake Gunzel. Shots for 43-34 for Ottawa. A fast-paced and exciting game overall. Both teams came up playing well, creating scoring chances and playing the body. Pittsburgh were able to capitalize on most of their chances early, but Ottawa led in shots and fought back to force a comeback, which would come, unfortunately, short. Ottawa's third period. Very, very similar to the Oilers game, except we were down 5-1. And one thing I really appreciated is that this really goes to show a lot of heart and a lot of character. Well, old yeah. former teams, the old sense teams, when we get down like this, game's over. They wouldn't fight, fight back. Yeah. This team's different. This team's built differently because, again, they fought back with goals by Stutzla, two by Norris, but just couldn't complete the comeback. 100%. The other thing about this team is they never really quit because they played, even when they were in that 3-1 hole, it, by the end of the first, they played hard into the second. There was a few, just a bit of a weird sequence that led to the Crosby and Matheson and Matheson goals. And then they just kept right at it. So I, 
like this is a comeback that I think Ottawa shouldn't feel like they played themselves into a hole because they continued to play well throughout that whole game. Uh, it's definitely a game that Pittsburgh probably deserved to win, but looking at most models, it was a lot closer than it would look where you have on expectation Pittsburgh and Ottawa both score close to four expected goals. The difference maker in this game was Anton Forsberg had a stinker and Gustafsson wasn't much better. No, no, he, he really wasn't. The goaltending really did let the Sens down in this one, but the Sens offense did. And Alex Formerton had an assist in two shots. I honestly am of the belief if he had scored on that penalty shot, how different this game could have turned out for the Sens. Well, it probably would have gone to overtime at the very least. Yeah. And that was fantastic work by Formanton to get that penalty shot because he worked through so many. He basically worked through the entire Pittsburgh offense because that was a bit of a broken play and he blew by everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, that was incredible. And to force Brian Rust to take that sort of penalty on you is, yeah, frankly, impressive because Brian Rust is no slouch. And that means that Brian Rust, who played the entire game with the Crosby line, got beat by Formington. It's true. It is very true, man. Now, the guy for me who came up in a big, bad way, and I really, really appreciate it because you rarely see this guy mucking it up in front, Josh Norris, two goals on six assists. And it's funny because, again, Josh is one of these guys that you, he's kind of like Ovechkin. You kind of see him not in the slot, but you see him in the circle yeah. and you leave him open. He's dangerous. So it's so refreshing to see Josh Norris. He isn't the biggest guy in the world. He's a good sized guy, but when you see him in front, mucking it up and getting that goal, good on him. Yeah. The you other, th- the other thing that I really appreciate is just how well that Kachuk Norris Batherson line played the Crosby line. They played them hard. And honestly, if they had gotten a better game from Forsberg. What we saw on the fancy stats would have been related on revealed on the score sheet. The Kachuk, the Kachuk Norris line pounded the Crosby line. Oh, the B and B line. Fantastic. Right. And that's yeah. a, such a great first line. And we talked about that here on top for discussion point. We said this in the past, but Brady to a guy I want to talk about who had two assists and nine shots outside of him, just being an absolute tank out there. What is your honest thoughts about that fight in the final seconds? It seemed kind of staged. I, I think a he little. was trying to spark it, but I think there was a lot of energy and a lot of anger built up. Brady needed to bust loose. A, a bit. I'm At the final seconds of the game, it is what it is. This is something I do want to talk about, though, is Eric Brandstrom had another really good game. He really did, and I have him in my notes, too, with one assist and four shots. Fantastic game for him once again. And like yeah. I said, against the Sabres game is that it's really, really nice to see DJ Smith is finally giving him the confidence to go out there. Because again, we've said this in the past, he makes one mistake. He used to get stapled. And this is the big thing is Brant. The thing that I think that really sold me on, okay, they trust, they trust Brandstrom now is on that play where Gustafson scored on himself. Brandstrom came right back out on the next shift. Mm-hmm. And in previous days, yeah, Brandstrom would have been stapled to the bench after that. Yeah. Well, how much of this do you think is 
the senators showing him off because he's been rumored with trade rumors over the last couple of weeks. How much of that is, okay, let's give him an actual shot. Let's see what we actually have here. I hope that's not what it is. Yeah. Because the nice, the thing that kind of mucks up that interpretation is Branstrom came back from injury and then they slotted him in and he just took everything he was given. Yeah. So I, part of this might be DJ Smith legitimately being like, okay, he's here. And being able to come off an in like a pretty bad injury too, that had him out for months and just slot right back in is very encouraging about the type of player. Eric Brandstrom is the fact that Brandstrom as a guy who's smaller than six feet can throw hits with the best of them. He can win the 50, 50 battles and he has such a beautiful first pass. It's incredible. Like that is a player that I think we have, we have to keep Eric Brandstrom around. We have to, man, especially with just how weak we are right now on defense. I think him and Shabbat should be great. Now, one guy, and I actually want to talk about him, this guy here, because, you know, as much as we praise his offensive skill, I was really impressed with his defensive play in this game. Tim Stutzla with one goal and three shots. Yeah, there was, like, in the first period, Tim Stutzla saved a goal. Yeah. Because Forsberg wasn't even looking where the puck was. Tim Stutzla lifts, lifts a stick on Madison and just skates away. Like, that's a goal save. It is. I want to quickly ask you something here, because I know people have been saying that, oh, I think there's always been criticism against Tim Stutzla's defensive play. Is it true that the fantasy stats and the analytics prove differently? Lately, yes. At the start of the season, no. Tim Stutzla has gotten better. Mm -hmm. But numbers do show that Tim Stutzla is a bit weak still at defense. Counterpoint, he's 19. Like he is playing very well for his age oh, in the NHL. Now. Oh, he's 20 now. But yeah, like in this game, in the Ottawa Pittsburgh game, he was on for more expected goals for than against. His Corsi percentage was positive. Uh, there were 18 shot, shots generated by the Ottawa Senators when he was on the ice versus nine generated by the Penguins when he was on the ice. So in this game, Tim Stutzla's defense was sound. And what's incredible is he was on for two goals at even strength for and against in a game that was six, four. So he was even. Well, it's funny. Tim Stisla at 20 years old, he really, I think he's really rounding into potentially be the next Marion Hosa, that kind of two way forward. Who's got a lot of offensive upskill who can burn you with speed. Another guy I want to talk about. Well, one thing is I want to compare him to Alexis Lafreniere again. At this point, fewer games, Tim Stutzla has 19 points to Lafreniere's 11. And their fancy stats, including the recent, going even back to the beginning of the season, are pretty similar. The only difference is that Lafreniere has been finishing on his opportunities, whilst Tim Stutzla's finishing has been getting better, but still a bit snake-bitten. The difference is I think Stutzla is just the more complete player right now. Yeah, it, it honestly makes me really think if the set, if the NHL, if that draft had to be do over right now, is Stutzler going number one for the Rangers? I think we're still a bit too tight to that draft. It's not like where there's been a considerable 
reevaluation of the 2018 draft where Brady Kachuk probably, well, Philip Sedina falls even past where he was drafted, but, and Svechnikov probably switches places with Dalian. Yep. But, and Brady Kachuk firms himself at three. Yeah, I, I know it's still been very early with the 2020 draft, but early returns, though. Yeah, well, the I thing is, I Quentin, think that's what we're basing it off, right? Yeah, we haven't seen much of Quentin Byfield because, well, unfortunately, he he's just yet. been injured. Has he played the NHL yet? I don't think, I'm not sure if he's played much in the NHL at all. Okay, well, while you're looking I'm that, up, look then, that up, okay, while Bye. you're doing that, I, I do want to mention Drake Batherson, who had a goal assist, two points on four shots. What can I say, honestly, at this point? Like, he just had another great game. Yeah. You no, know, and that that goal where he gets his second effort on Tristan Jari to tie the game at one early in the game is the type of stuff you're looking for in a leader on the team. Mm-hmm. And I would not be surprised if in a year or two, when some of the people who currently have A's are no longer on the team, that Drake Batherson gets one. I wouldn't be shocked. Honestly, it's going to be interesting because how I, I obviously I know Shabbat's an A, but I was thinking here because honestly, how many A's do you think could a team give them? Three? I think three or four. I think you're allowed to have four lettered players. Okay. So what is this? What if the entire B and B line are lettered? Norris is an A, Bath is A, Kachuk C. C, and then Shabbat with an A. It's tough because uh I wouldn't be surprised if Stutzla gets one. And I think I'd probably give one to Bath. It's tough. It is really tough. It is because there's always the argument. What about Connor Brown too, right? Yeah. Well, Connor Brown currently has one. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if once Connor Brown, it moves on from the Ottawa senators that Brant, sorry, Batherson gets Connor Brown's a. That's true. true. Um, Quentin Byfield has played six NHL games so far. Has he? Okay. Yep. And he's looked pretty good so far, to be honest. Like the fancy stats look nice. Again, small sample, so usual warnings. Uh, I think he's at least potted a goal in those six games. So, and LA looks better with him than without him. So, fair enough. So, Tim, do you want to head off into the third and final game? Sorry, Byfield has no goals this season. Yeah. And uh, one assist last season. But he's looked good. Okay. He's just not played much. So, Tim, let's turn to the third and final game of the evening because we talked about Sidney Crosby. Let's talk about Alexander Ovechkin. Sens versus Capitals. This is a 3-2 Capitals victory in overtime. Sens was scored by Hutsamacho and Zach Sanford. Capitals was scored by Alex Ovechkin with two and Nicholas Backstrom in overtime. Shot for 33-22 for the Capitals. Thomas Shabbat opens the scoring to make it 1-0 on it all with a point shot. Zach Sanford pots the Formington pass to make it 2-0. Alex Ovechkin scores in front to make it 2-1 Ottawa. Ovechkin scores again to tie the game at 2. And Backstrom scores in overtime to make it 3-2 Capitals, which would be the final. Now, again, I condensed to watch it. As I said, I wasn't home to get a chance to watch it. So there's a few guys I want to talk about now. Matt, well, let's start. Let's start. What the fuck was that first period? Do you want to read the shot clock from the first period, Tay? Go for it. Washington, five 
Ottawa three. What the fuck is that? Like, even on the shot pressure chart from uh, the NHL and from uh, <laughs> Hockey Viz, they don't even get past the 55 shots per 60, both teams line. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, it was pro- it was kind of a snooze fest, to be perfectly honest. The Shabbat slapper was beautiful, though. Holy shit. It was. It was a really, really nice shot. And surprisingly, only his second of the year. And the Sanford goal itself is, it's nice. It is. And again, Sanford had a goal in one shot, but Alex Formanton really did all the work on that. All, oh, he, yeah. all Sanford had to do, stand in front and put your stick on the ice. Honestly, fair. And Formanton has probably been one of the best senators over the last two, three weeks, like hands down. Well, and the Stute, that Stutzla-Formanton pairing is just a dream to watch. It really is. And again, going back to our cover athlete, imagine if Anthony DeClaire was on the right side. <laughs> no imagine kidding. Imagine how kidding. deadly that second line would be right now, right? Yeah. No, that's fair. No. But again. So I quickly want to talk about Matt Murray because I know for as much criticism as he gets, I thought he played well in this game. 30 saves, a .909. I know the stats may not show that, but honestly – how, how do you stop Ovechkin in front, though? Well, you the problem is, is look where Ottawa gave him the, sh- the goals. Like, he's just twice in front of the net. Like, same spot, both times. Right side in front of the crease. Like, yeah, Ovechkin's going to score those. Yeah. And what's incredible is that Murray saved two of those. So, like, yeah, that 0.91 is a hard-fought 0.91. So, it's like, I, yeah, no, I thought Matt Murray held Ottawa in the third. Mm-hmm. He absolutely did. He absolutely did. Credit now, to the Ottawa Senators for not just, not just disappearing in the third. Mm-hmm. Like, they managed a counterattack. But, yeah, no, Washington... Washington really came at the Ottawa Senators, and I'm surprised Kuznetsov didn't score that game. I know, because he had, what, seven shots, eight shots that game? Eight shots and two 10-alarm bell shots, especially on the power play where he was dead center in the slot and gets, like, a really beautiful black backhander and a tip that Murray gets all of both of them. Like, it's incredible. Yeah, like Kuznetsov should have scored that game and Murray shut him down. So two final notes I have on this game. I don't, it doesn't really have to relate to any of the players on the ice, Tim. First comment I want to make. Yep. The Washington Capitals jerseys. Now, looking at the jerseys, the W logo gives me the Washington football team vibes. <laughs> it does. No, that's right. Honestly, I was looking at the jersey. It's a nice looking jersey yeah no i like it one comment one comment imagine if that jersey had say the flying eagle or a modified version of that oh that'd be nice holy shit like you know how they have the reverse oh invert the the eagle Hmm? so instead of being a 
a navy eagle mm-hmm. with white highlights. Have a white eagle with navy highlights. Mm-hmm. There we go. Yep. Honestly, because again, and I, we mentioned this with the reverse retros, how nice it was to see the Capitals bring back the flying eagle. Because when I think of the Capitals, I don't think of the from like the seventies to the nineties. I think of like the late nineties, yeah. Bondra and. Only the goalie and Sergey Gonchar with the Flying Eagles. Oh, that yeah, oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. But if they had that logo on that jersey, even if it was like a modified look, how how much would that jersey pop? Very. And the last thing I want to mention, Tim, is a stat that Sportsnet actually pulled up during the game, and I want to give a quick shout to Adam because he actually sent this to me. Did you happen to see the goal stat chart that they put up? No, I didn't. Alex Ovechkin, 759 goals. The Senators' entire team, 627. Wow. Now, keep in mind, Alex Ovechkin has been in the NHL since 2005. Well, it just really puts what Ovechkin has done in perspective, you know, that he scored more than 20 young guys. Like I think that's we're the big have thing. Kids being drafted next year, this year, who were born the year Ovechkin joined the NHL and got drafted. I'm I'm not okay with that. It's weird, man. One pairing that I really want to shout out on the Ottawa side is Br- the Brandstrom Josh Brown pairing. I actually thought they had a really good game. Yeah, and it's not often that Josh Brown didn't look terrible. Like, granted, he only saw 15 minutes of ice, second least ahead of Bernard Docker with 14. But uh, for the past few games, Josh Brown was uh, in DJ Smith's doghouse getting 10 or less. So to see Josh Brown actually play a bit smarter, and granted, Brandstrom was covering a lot of his mistakes. Mm -hmm. they, They were good. I'm starting to sour a bit on the Holden Zub pairing yeah like as far as a shutdown pairing goes they've been getting hemmed in a lot well that's what happens when you have guys that don't have the foot speed to pull it off right yeah so i it's a bit weird where it's i'm wondering where maybe it it's holden that comes out when sanford sorry when uh sanderson joins the senators yeah which might not be too far away yeah i would like to see a bit more vector mete because I think Mete is better than Josh Brown. Yeah, well, he's definitely got the foot speed, though, to prove, to pull it off, too, right? Yeah. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on these games. If you want to head off for the close for another episode. Yeah, let's do it. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You find our page on National Podcast Network. You find our links to iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M91 Honey Badger and Mac Great White Gipster, G-R-8-W-I-T-E Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you just want to give some shout outs on anybody you want to talk about, shoot us an email at at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so for the games of the week, as it currently stands, last night's game, we were in Columbus to play the Blue Jackets, which we won 2-1. to one. 
Tuesday, we are returning home to play the Buffalo Sabres. Thursday, we're at home to play the Carolina Hurricanes. And Saturday, we are also at home to play the Anaheim Ducks. Honestly, that's a pretty good cadre of games. It is, man. It is. But you know what, though? I'm going to have some stuff to talk about for last night because you know what? That Tim Stutz the goal. Sheesh. I don't know if you can see this, Tim. But Oh, it's your phone background now. My background, my well, phone. That goal was nasty. Holy shit. Okay, before we close up, can we quickly talk about Elvis Merlickin's goalie pads in a setup? The baby blue? They're, they pop. I like them. They I pop. Really we like it. Like them. Yeah, I'm digging them, man. And we're definitely going to talk about that on next week's episode for sure, man. Alrighty. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Tinder Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sims, guys. Woo!